Today we'll begin a series, Psalm 23. Many of you are familiar with that psalm. You've heard that psalm um, in many contexts, many different ways. We're going to get a chance to walk through it uh, slowly over, over the next four weeks. But if you'll stand together with me, and let's read or I'll read this psalm for us. Psalm 23. Go ahead and stand together. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We'll start with just the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's two separate propositions. One is affirming something, one is denying something. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How do they relate to each other? Well, we could put it this way, right? They, they go together, we know that, right? And you can't have one without the other, actually. But they go together maybe this way. We could say, since the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, we could say it. Another way, I think, that makes a similar point. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Either way, either way, we could say this. The latter statement, I shall not want, is a consequence of the former. The Lord is my shepherd. We say that again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're honest, if we are honest, that is an astounding claim to make. It's the kind of statement, and again, I think if we're honest, it's the kind of statement that we say it, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think he is. There's a little hesitation. We lose our nerve a bit. The psalm challenges us. We're kind of faced with this question. Do we really mean the same thing that David means? Do we really understand what he's saying? Well, from the first verse, just the first verse, 
I want to draw out, I think, two implicit sort of challenges, and then I want to bring it to sort of a, a specific conclusion that will set the trajectory of everything else that we're going to say. We're going to have lots of time to unpack this shepherding business. Just want, to, want us to stop for a second, kind of meditate on verse 1, and consider some things. So the first challenge, we'll start with the second statement. I shall not want. Right? By want, we're not talking desire here. What we're talking about is lack right? or absence. The lack of, the absence of something. So maybe a way to simply say this is, Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But again, let's say that slowly. I lack nothing. I am devoid of nothing. I am short of nothing. I am deprived of nothing. I have too little of nothing. You say it out loud in all of these different ways and the weight of what you're really saying ought to land on you. Just a little bit. The more you say it, and again, I don't know about you, but the more that I say that, the harder it is for me to hear myself. Perhaps that's because the more that you say it, the more you're reminded of what you face in your own life every day. Kyle mentioned some of these things, right? Money. Can everybody say inflation? Oh, yeah. You know what inflation means, right? Inflation means my money gets this small. I mean, is anybody here that wouldn't say... I could have a little bit more, maybe. It'd be nice if I have just a little bit more. Or close to money, just general needs, right? Want to have, have some clothes. Maybe you want better clothes. Maybe you want clothes that aren't sort of coming apart at the seams here. Fraying, right? around the collar. Maybe you want a car, right? Some of you would say, I just want a car that runs, right? I would like a car where the air conditioning works. Right? Or maybe you want a better car, right? I've never been a car person, but I don't know, here recently, I found myself, you know, kind of being more idolatrous a little, right? You know what I would like to have? I would like to have an Audi A8. That's strangely specific, isn't it? I mean, my, my daughter sent me texts of different, different Audis. No, 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 no. None of those are the one that I want. I don't know. Better place to live, better job, right? Some of us want a better job or just a job that we like. Relationships. 
I was almost said a better spouse. A better relationship with your spouse. A better relationship with your spouse, not a better spouse. <laughs> better relationship with your kids. You want that? Work relationships. Health. Health would be nice. It'd be nice not to wake up hurting when you did this or when you move this way that'd be nice great if you didn't suffer from a degenerative disease it'd be fantastic if your heart worked like it was supposed to what about loss many of you know what it is to lose somebody I think the community of Uvalde knows that more painfully than many of us do right now. It's horrifying, tragic loss. And precisely here, precisely this psalm will be read at some of those funerals. This psalm will be read. I've sat in, how many of you have sat in funerals? And this psalm is the one that's read. And what's interesting to me is I couldn't imagine that those families wanting anything more than to have it the way that it was, not the way that it is now. Because they've lost. That little statement, I lack nothing it just gets right in your face. It confronts us. Because we all know what it is to have genuine deficit. So what could this little statement mean? People throughout redemptive history, the people of God throughout redemptive history, I think, teach us. Nehemiah in 9, 20 to 21, he says this. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. He's talking about the people of Israel. And did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Did you hear that? Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. His prayer looks back to then. Manna, thirst, clothes. Right in the middle. They lacked nothing. He's referring to this period that starts with the Exodus. The two verses, I think, really, or two passages, I think, really get at the point of all of that. They really bring home this lack nothing. Exodus 16, 11 through 12 says, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And here's the punchline. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
And then you, you, that's right at, the, right, at the, right at the headwaters of this whole thing. They just came out of, of Egypt. And then we jump all the way to the end, just before they're about to head into the land. Listen to Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, And he humbled you and let you hunger. Get this. Humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know this, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's not new. That wasn't new, right? You find that all the way back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, with Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat from every tree in the garden. Lots of food. And it was good. It was beautiful. And then he says this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Hmm. Lots of food. Life comes from lots of food, but that's not where life was coming from even then. It's you listen to me. Jesus Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is reliving, reenacting Israel's life, right? He's, he is the true Israel. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, you get it, 40, 40, right? He was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. the wilderness, or out there in the wilderness, the 40 years of lacking nothing had a point. And it wasn't food. The point was that they would know God, that God was their God, that He was with them, that they were His, that He cared for them, and that He provided for them. That was His goal wasn't just feeding them. He was teaching them to trust in who he was for them. The psalm challenges us in that. Being able to say, I lack nothing, doesn't mean that I have every little thing. Being able to say that I lack nothing means this. It means recognizing when I have God, I have everything I need. When I have God, 
I have everything I need. You could have every little thing and not be able to say that. That is what we say whether we have or whether we don't. When I have God, I have everything that I need. That's the first way that this psalm challenges us. The second way this psalm challenges us, it flows out of the first. We might get that we lack nothing because with God we have everything. We might get that and still be deceived. Again, look at the old covenant people of God. Numbers 11, verse 1 says, The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And what were their misfortunes? Verses 4 through 6, listen to this. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing. Nothing at all but this manna to look at. You heard the testimony. What God said through Moses, what God said through Nehemiah, the people of God, they lack nothing. Yet here, they complain looking back at what they had at Egypt. And they think it's, it was free and good. God provo- provided manna. They lack nothing. Here, they say there is nothing but manna. Yuck. And then here's how God responded, and this is important. Numbers 11, 18 through 20, he says, And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. And here it is. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and wept before him, saying, why did we come out of Egypt? God's response was not because they were bored with the menu. That wasn't the point. What was at stake there is still true for you. It, the, the same thing is at stake for you and I. And that is not believing all that God is for you. They were meant to see that God, right? He's the one who brought them out of Egypt. He is Yahweh. They were meant to see that they lived, really lived by his word and not bread. And they were meant to see that he really was among them and he really did care for them. Really. That they kept looking back at what they had in Egypt. And that's important That's important because the pharaohs, they had a habit, and this is sort of ancient Near East stuff, right? They had a habit of calling themselves shepherds too. Their gods had a habit of speaking in shepherding imagery. 
Here the people of God were looking back to another shepherd. Forgetting, forgetting that they were enslaved there in Egypt. Forgetting that they were under heavy oppression. Forgetting that that shepherd tried to kill them. They seem to forget so easily. To become distracted. To forget that the shepherd is Yahweh. They forget. So do you. So do you. All of us so easily forget who he is. That's the second challenge implicit here. To see the temptation we all face. That of looking to other shepherds. False shepherds, they make us promises. They promise to care for us. They promise to do us good. They promise to give us life. And we believe them. And we find ourselves deceived. I mean, how many times have you face-planted and thought, why didn't I listen to you, Lord? Why didn't I listen? I mean, you know it. You know it. You could point to that moment, that situation, that relationship. Where you just, you, you just kind of go, oh, why didn't I follow you, Lord? You know how blind we can be. We buy into these lies that these other shepherds tell us. And far from doing us good, They destroy us. They eat us. Though you think you have, what you find by following another shepherd is that you actually lack. But this psalm, right? In this psalm, David is jolting us out of our stupor. He says, he reminds us again, the Lord is the shepherd. Not that one, not that one, not that one. There is no other. It is only Yahweh. He alone is the Lord. Excuse me, he alone is the shepherd, the true shepherd. That's the objective truth that he's offering us. Yahweh is shepherd, shepherd of his people. David is not just giving us an objective truth. He's offering us a testimony. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. I believe him. I know him. I trust him. And David could say, Yahweh is my shepherd because God, the shepherd, has sheep, a flock a people of whom David is a part, of, over whom David, in saying this, is being a really, really good king. And as God's people sang this psalm written by their king throughout history, it shaped their identity. People of God, this first verse makes it clear to us this morning, that though others 
compete for that title, shepherd, you only have one shepherd. The true shepherd. The true living God. And this is not a tired metaphor. God continues as shepherd for us today. He anticipated it. Ezekiel 34, I myself will be shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And Ezekiel 37 says this, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. And that shepherd is none other than Christ. Ezekiel anticipated this shepherd. David anticipated this shepherd. He is the shepherd, or as he referred to himself, the good shepherd. John 10, 14 through 16, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my, down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. We'll say more in the weeks to come about how Jesus is the shepherd. But this morning, just consider this. Christ, your shepherd, gave his life to give you life. Your heavenly Father has given you all that you need for life through the shepherd, his son. People of God this morning, believe him. Trust him. Listen to his voice alone. And know that when we have Christ, the son, our shepherd, we lack nothing. With Christ, in Christ, our shepherd. We have all that we will ever need. Let's pray together. Father, again, I thank you for this time that we had to worship you as your people. Father, would you, would you remind us again and again this week. Would you turn our eyes again and again this week toward your Son, our Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Work in us, Father, by your Spirit to trust Him, to know Him, to believe Him, and to hear Him. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.